You're listening to the Doxology and Theology Podcast, where we promote, encourage, and equip gospel-centered worship. For more information, visit us at doxologyandtheology.com. I want to begin by um, offering to us today that uh, the greatest injustice in the universe is not that there are people dying of AIDS or that there are people starving to death even as you listen now. It's not that there have been over 50 million abortions or so in America since Roe v. Wade. It's not that there are 27 million human slaves or 200 million orphans in the world today. These things are absolutely terrible. They're awful, but, and, I, and I believe they break the heart of God, but these are not the greatest injustice. The greatest injustice in the universe is that there are human beings who do not worship Jesus Christ. That is injustice. That's the greatest battle there is for us. Uh, And that's why we're here. That's why we're worship leaders. Um, I love where Matt brought us with Psalm 96, telling uh, all the the nations to to praise the Lord. And and that's uh, that's the heart here of where we're gonna go for a few minutes. Um, By the way, how much time do I have, just so I know? 45 minutes? Okay. Um, great. So, in light of that, in light of the fact that, um, that that is the greatest injustice imaginable, I want, I want us to, to look for a few minutes at how worship and mission relate to each other. Um, if uh, you're familiar with a, a preacher, uh, you're, you're probably not. He's kind of a nobody uh, by the name of John Piper. Uh, he says that uh, missions exist because worship doesn't. And that is a, uh, a, a I love the essence of that. Um, and I want to get to that today. But before I get there, I want to maybe present to you uh, today that missions exist because worship does. And I, wanna, I want us to look at that together. And, uh, and so that's, that's the plan. Missions exist because worship does. Um, that's where we're going to be primarily today. I'm going to get at the end, missions exist because worship doesn't. Um, so um, if, if you'll go with me, we're going to start kind of in the theoretical realm of things. I'm going to dip down and get a little practical and, uh, and dip back up to uh, more of the philosophical reasons for how worship and mission relate. Um, first, missions exist because worship does. An experience of greatness or joy is what creates worship and mission. An experience of greatness or joy is what creates worship and mission. Um, I've always been fascinated uh, with the fact, maybe some of you have too, th- uh, that God commands us to sing. Just in general, has that ever? Have you ever thought about that? Uh, you know, obviously the Psalms are filled with commands. We just talked about them: uh, sing to the Lord, all the earth; sing praises to God; sing praises; sing praises to our King; sing praises. Why do that? Um, you know, couldn't God just as well have said, um, you know, speak of of who I am, tell, and, and He does that in the Psalms as well. Um, God could have just made us creatures that that only speak. Um, yet He calls us to sing. Why? do this. It reminds me a little bit of the great commandment, love, right? Uh, which is equally interesting. Uh, love the Lord your God with, with all your heart. Can love be commanded? It's, it's as if God, um, throughout the pages of Scripture, is commanding our happiness, isn't he? He's commanding us to have joy. Love, sing. Why do this? 
I think this is why. I think the reason why God commands us to sing is because he knows that uh, when we encounter him, when we see him, when we taste uh, of who he is, the, uh, the experience of joy that we'll have is so great, is, is so amazing that it's not enough just to talk about it. We, right, we, we have to, to rise up and we have to sing. And we, we see this everywhere, right? You know, a, a father comes home, long day of work, he's excited to see his family, he bursts open the door, he, he sings a song, right, or something to announce to his family that he's home and his kids come and tackle him. Or you, you see it... Um, you see it in sports, right? You, you, uh, you score a touchdown, what, and what happens most of the time? A song is played, right? Um, it's, it's the natural response. Uh, you see it in Disney movies, you know, where the, the, the guy and the girl, and there's, there's this experience of joy that's happening, and, and uh, you know, a song is born, right? That's, that's how it, it happens. Singing expresses our most deep-seated joys the way that uh, crying does our sadness. When we are overwhelmed with joy, we sing. And this is why God commands it. This is, there is something so ineffable about God's numberless attributes that it is not enough to simply verbally acknowledge them or write about them. We must sing. We must sing. We must birth forth, burst forth in adoration. C.S. Lewis talks about this um, kind of in this uh, famous paragraph in his reflection on the Psalms. He says this, When I first began to draw near to belief in God, and even for some time um, after it had been given to me, I found a stumbling block in the demand that we should praise God, still more in the suggestion that God himself demanded it. He says this, but the most obvious fact about praise, whether of God or of anything, strangely escaped me. I thought of it in terms of compliment, approval, or the giving of honor. I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. The world rings with praise, lovers praising their mistresses, readers their favorite poet, walkers praising the countryside, players praising their favorite game, uh, praise of weather, wines, dishes, actors, motors, horses, colleges, even sometimes politicians. I had not noticed how the humblest and at the same time the most balanced and uh, balanced of minds praised most, while the cranks, misfits, and malcontents praised the least. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. Brilliant. It's his reflection on the Psalms if, if you want to read more about that. We praise what we enjoy. We overflow. Praise is the appointed consummation of joy. Um, but I want to take maybe Lewis one step further uh, if... That sounds really, that uh, sounded terrible. Uh, what am I talking about? Um, but I want to add to what he said there. Um, I don't think praise is the appointed consummation of joy, but one of its appointed consummations. Uh, something that I've learned about my wife over the years is that she's a food sharer. Can anybody relate to that? Is, do you have a wife that she just, she loves to share her food. And uh, it's a big deal to her, right? So when we're sitting down, we're eating dinner, it's whether we're out to eat or whether we're at home, and she takes a bite, and, and it's just, mm, you know, it's that. And she says, here, here try this, if, if I haven't tried it yet. She says, here, try this. So maybe I've already eaten, or maybe I'm just not in the mood. Uh, that's, it doesn't matter. 
I'm going to try it, right? And I'm going to like it, right? So I, I'm in this predicament, though. Like if, if, I, if I don't want what she's offered, she, she gets kind of offended. And so I, I, always, I always try it. And what's, what fascinates me is, is when I try it, she's, she's looking at my face, right? She wants to, she wants to see what's about to happen. So uh, whether I like it or not, you, you know, love it, honey, right? Um, but th- there, there is... Uh, there's something about us that um, we want to share what we enjoy, don't we? Um, this is why, precisely the reason my wife wants to share her food is because she enjoyed it. Are you starting to see the relationship, worship and mission? Joy has one of its appointed consummation in praising, but another in sharing. What we find enjoyable, we naturally find shareable. Why is this? Because joy shared is joy intensified. Shakespeare, joy delights in joy. We love to see others discover joy in the things that we have discovered joy in. And our joy is increased when they have praised what we have shared. I'm going to say that again. That's good. I'll amen myself to that. Um, We love to discover, we love to see others discover joy in the things that we have discovered joy in. And our joy is increased when they have praised what we have shared. We see this everywhere, right? You hear a funny joke and you call your best friend so you can laugh together. When you hear an incredible song, you you post it on Facebook or Twitter to tell everybody about it. When you take an adorable picture of your child, you send it to your family members to get the oohs and the ahs. This is the way God wired us. We want to share our experiences, our encounters with greatness, our experiences of joy, because um, this is the way God is himself. In The End for Which God Created the World by Jonathan Edwards, which is one of my um, probably most life uh, outside the Bible, uh, one of my top five uh, most formative books in my life, he, he lays out a case in the book that the triune God prior to creation, uh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, um, was, was never lonely. He was, was happy in himself. His joy was overflowing. God has never been lonely, and he's always been happy. Uh, you know, First John tells us God is love. Um, it requires that God be triune if he is love, because if there was no other person there to love, he would not be love, right? So before uh, the foundation of the world, there's this ineffable relationship between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and there's this um, swelling of delight and goodness between them. He lays out a case for all this. And, uh, and then he says this, that Edwards, uh, he says that some of God's attributes, in some ways, he says, quote, never would have had any exercise had he not created the world. So he wasn't lonely, but there were certain attributes, uh, be it maybe his mercy or his patience, that he would never been able to express had he not created. Um, so they were pent up, uh, as it were, within himself. And so he describes it this way, Edwards, he says this, as there, is an, as there is an infinite fullness of all possible good in God, a fullness of every perfection, of every excellency and beauty, of infinite happiness, and as this fullness is capable of communication, so it seems a thing amiable, or a good thing, so it seems to be a good thing in itself, that this infinite fountain of good should send forth abundant streams. Isn't that beautiful? God, before the creation of the world, had 
to share. His delight was so great, he, he created all things. Similar to the way a songwriter creates a song, right? The songwriter doesn't need a song, but he creates it out of the overflow of who he is. It, it's something that he, the songwriter needs to say. He needs to share it with, with other people. Uh, and in the same way, God, in the creation of the world, sought to share his own joy with, Edward says, a glorious society of created beings in order to have his own joy, dare I say, increased. God loves to see us discover joy in the things he is joyful in, his glory. And his joy increases as we praise what he has shared. And diffusing any arguments that would show this to be a weakness in God, Edward states this, it is, it is no argument of the emptiness or deficiency of a fountain that it is inclined to overflow. Joy shares joy. I want us to look at this for a few minutes uh, in the scriptures, if we could. Um, missions exist because worship does. Um, pretty much every, every um, conference, and, and, and I, I, the band and I, we, we do a good bit of event for, uh, events for youth and uh, youths and we, uh, I always make it a point to say at some point behind the microphone to say, I really believe that you guys, uh, there's going to be people in this room who change the world, who turn the world upside down. And usually, you know, there's this kind of like, woo, yeah, that's us, we're going to do it. You know, there's this like, it's this kind of like, I don't know. It, it, I, and I kind of couch it that way to start out to feel a little trite. Um, but then I say this, I say, and I truly, I believe that with all my heart, but I, I tell them, I say, but that's not because of you. It's not because of how great you are. It's not because of how intelligent you are. It's not because of even how gifted you are. It's because that's what happens when a human being encounters God. That's what happens. You, you, you live on mission. You, you change the world. You go out and you share the joy and the life that you've experienced. That's what happens throughout the scripture uh, when ordinary people in, see and encounter the majesty of God or the mercy of God, they are forever changed by it and they go and tell everybody about it. That's just what happens, right? Moses encounters God at the burning bush and then next thing you know, he's prophesying to the most powerful man in the world saying, let my people go. The Samaritan woman at the well experiences the grace, the omniscience of Jesus who know, he knows everything about her and then she goes and tells the whole town about it. Come and see this man who knows all there is to know about me. Paul encounters the risen Christ on the Damascus road and then pretty soon the one who was the greatest uh, you know, murderer of the, of the early church becomes the greatest missionary to, to live on the planet. The point is this, you, you don't get hit by a freight train and stay the same. It's impossible. You can't encounter the beauty, the majesty, the greatness of God and walk away the same. I'm convinced that if, the, if our churches would be faithful to make the exaltation of Jesus Christ our goal, that Christ would be faithful to make his missionaries. The answer is not giving people more programs, more stuff to do. Let's be honest. People don't want to do missions. That's not how we're wired we want to sit around and, and, and watch TV and do that kind of stuff. We want to, you know, like dink around on our iPhones and just do whatever. We don't want to do missions, right, or do evangelism. People are sinners. 
We'd rather do something else. We'd rather be a spokesman for something else, for ourselves, for our businesses, for our favorite sports teams, because out of the abundance of our heart, the mouth speaks. We naturally and generously give our time and our voice to the things that we love. It's a deep-rooted heart change that's needed. Do you see it? It's, it's when idols are ripped from the heart. You know, it's, it's been said that um, you overcome idolatry. You, you worship your way into sin. You've got to worship your way out. That's how you, that's how you overcome idolatry. That's how you overcome, uh, you know, living for little glory is to see a greater glory. That's, and that's what, we, that's what we do. That's our job as worship leaders is to show people where that greater glory is, to show people the thing that, that they were made to see, the thing that they were made to celebrate, and just point them there and let God do the rest. It's that heart change that's needed. The only way that happens is when the glory of Christ shines brighter than the world. It's when their heart finally sees Jesus and says, wow. So, I think the question moves from how do we create missionaries, how do we do more stuff, more missions, to how does God create missionaries? And the way God creates missionaries is by putting himself on display. So putting him, his glory on display, it's got to be our aim. That's our goal. Obviously, um, you know, I almost hate to even go here, but I you know, you just, you kind of have to. There's, there's really no other place that it so clearly puts this as Isaiah chapter 6, right? Isaiah sees God in all of his majesty and his beauty and his greatness, and he's changed forever. He's never the same. You guys know the story. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above them were seraphs, each with six wings, two there coming their face, two there coming their feet, two there flying. This weird sci-fi scene going on. And it says, they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the way you know that, that these uh, freaky looking sci-fi angels weren't like little uh, angels like you see on TV today, little chubby fat babies wearing diapers. The way that you know that is because of this next verse. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke, right? So, they, you know, you see these gigantic creatures, just weird sci-fi stuff going on, and they're, they're just, and they're calling with these gigantic voices, holy, holy, I, I'm, a, I'm a big Georgia Bulldog fan, and we just beat the Florida Gators, and I'm like, yeah, all right? So, at the, in the, in, um, Sanford Stadium, we have this practice where we call to one another. We say, Georgia Bulldogs, right? And it's back and forth, and it's a beautiful uh, experience of worship. And uh, <laughs> this is what it is. Um, uh, forgive us, Lord. Um, I imagine that kind of call. Just one side, holy. The other, back to the other, holy, holy. One gets a glimpse of who he is. They, they, they cry, holy, holy, holy. Can you picture Isaiah before this, this scene? One leg of the throne somewhere over in this corner of the room. One, the other leg of the throne somewhere three miles down the road. The other leg of the throne. It's just this massive 
vision of God. His response, woe is me. I'm ruined. I am ruined. I'll never be the same. I've seen your, your holiness. I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, and with it he touched my lips and said, See, your sin is taken away. Your sin is taken away. Your sin is taken away. Your iniquity is atoned for. We have the gospel of Jesus Christ introduced. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Here am I. Send me. So many other passages follow this example. Um, where a human being sees God, they see their own depravity, they experience the, the mercy, the kindness of God, and then they respond in surrender to the mission of God. This is the journey of the missionary. This is the missionary's classroom. There are two things in this text um, I want us to see, uh, a, a couple ways, and, and I, this is where I kind of want to start uh, dipping down a little bit practically into the way this fleshes itself out uh, for me and, and the, how I lead worship. Um, the, the first thing to note is that Isaiah sees God. Um, one, this something that you've been hearing already all day today, and I hope that you keep hearing it, is that worship is a rhythm of revelation and response, right? So as I said before, uh, worship is a response to greatness. Worship doesn't just happen. It doesn't just come out of nowhere. Um, a vision of glory is what creates worship, right? And, you know, that's whether you see a touchdown, you erupt in applause, or whether you see God and, and erupt in, in praise. It's a vision of glory that, that's what creates worship. And so we have to give that to people as worship leaders, right? We have to give them something to respond to. We have to help them see God. But the question is, how in the world do we do that? How do you do that? How do you, how do you put God on display, and uh, the way, practically, the way I do that is, is a couple ways. Um, and I started to share a little bit uh, about that in the, uh, the panel, if you were here. Um, but one is, Scripture is the revelation of God. And so the way we see God in the 21st century is in God's Word. Um, we uh, ultimately uh, see him there. This is where he shines the brightest. This is, this is where uh, his glory is, is, is shimmering on, on every page. And for the worship leader to stand up and to not use the Bible, I just, I don't get it. Uh, you're leading people to idolatry. Because you're leading them to, because if they're responding and you haven't brought out Bible, you haven't brought out gospel, you got to wonder, are they they're responding to their emotions? They're responding to you? They're, what's going on? Right? We, we've got we've to eliminate this. We've got to bring in the glory of Christ, put it up for people to look at and to be changed by it. And so... The, the word is, is absolutely central, and I think you're probably going to hear that throughout this whole conference, and I, and I hope you, you make that central um, in your worship leading and in your life. Um, the other way is, you know, it, to, the way we put God on display is, is in the gospel. It's in the, it's in the story of God. It's in the story of the, the scriptures. Um, and, um, you know, as, as I shared a little bit ago, um, it's, uh, th- this, is, this is what helps me form the way I plan my worship sets. If you, if you notice the crucial order in which Isaiah encountered God here, right? He sees the greatness of God. He sees his sin. He experiences mercy. And then he cries, here I am, send me, right? 
What is this other than the gospel? What is this other than a, sum, a summation of Romans, right? Romans chapter 1, you, you have uh, all men are sinners, all men are idolaters, we stink, we've messed it up. Romans 3, uh, there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 5, but, but, but being justified by faith, therefore we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. He, he puts on display the sovereignty, the grace, the mercy of God, and then chapter 12, right, he turns the famous corner and says, therefore. Right, therefore, in view of the mercies of God. This is it. This is, this is the gospel. This is what we as worship leaders should carry our people through week in and week out. We've got to give them the story. Our churches and worship gatherings should be filled with the passionate celebration of the gospel. We've got to preach the gospel. We've got to sing the gospel. Our songs got to be saturated with the gospel. Um, and as I said, this, this is how I, this, the, the way, um, I, I, the lens I kind of wear when I, when I choose my songs. I don't start with cross songs. Um, I start with songs about the majesty of God. And then, you know, I get to a place where you, you, you bring in the cross and it has, has importance in that moment. It has weight. Jesus shed his blood so that we could, so that we might not face the wrath of God. And then, as, as you experience and you taste the grace and mercy of God, then you say, out of that, God, here I am. Send me. Send me. Missionaries are born in the incubators of gospel-centered churches. The gospel not only produces obedience to God and to his mission, but the right kind of obedience, the kind that's fun. So give people the story for the sake of the nations, for the sake of God's glory. Put the beauty of God on display. People will fall in love with him, and people who are in love do crazy stuff, like change the world. Um, people, people ask me sometimes, uh, you know, are you, when you lead worship, are, are you, uh, what about like lost people in your church, you know? Are you leading worship? Do you lead them in worship? Or, um, you know, what about, is your church for believers? Is that whole question, you know, seeker, sensitive, oriented, I don't know all the words, but that whole conversation, right? Is, is this for the family or for the outsider or what's the deal? What I usually tell people is that I don't um, preach, I don't lead worship uh, necessarily for Christians or lost people. Uh, I lead worship uh, and preach to sinners. And that's all of us, right? That's every one of us. And every one of us, every person in this room today, every person in our congregations this Sunday morning when we, when we get back to church is, is someone who's desperately in need to hear the gospel all over again or for the first time. Desperately in need to hear the fact that God's holy, but he sent his son, Jesus Christ. And so, God, we're going to respond to you with love and affection and adoration. And we're going to give every bit of our lives over to you. As I said, the worship leader is someone who simply exists to say, look at Jesus. Look at him. That's it. That's, that's the job. That's the role. That's what a worship leader does. Evangelism is look at Jesus. Discipleship is look at Jesus. It's, it's, it's preaching the gospel. It's saturating our lives with the story of God. Uh, but John Piper also said that missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship gives us the power to do missions, but it also gives us the purpose of missions. 
This is found all over the Bible, but is seen vividly in Revelation 5 and 7, right? Matt read that earlier. In those passages, we, we see where history is going. We see the, the period at the end of the sentence. What is it? It's people from every tribe, tongue, and nation surrounding the throne of God, worshiping the Lamb who was slain. That's the point of missions. And by missions, lest we overlook the certain people due to our favoritisms, we mean taking the gospel to all peoples, not simply living missionally, although that's great. Missions is taking the gospel to everyone, every ethnic group. Jesus is that worthy. Um, to tell you, uh, to illustrate this, this point of, of missions exists because worship doesn't, I think one of the best ways is, is a story um, in the, uh, in the early 1700s, there was two uh, young men in their 20s, uh, John Leonard Dobear, David Nitchman. You have maybe heard this story. Um, they were followers of Jesus, and uh, in their early 20s, they heard about an island in the West Indies at, at their church. Their pastor was preaching about a place in the West Indies where there wasn't any gospel witness. And uh, they became really burdened by it, right? They became over, overcome by it, and so... They, uh, they made a decision to go to this place. And their plan was, um, we're going to sell ourselves into slavery so that we can reach these slaves with the gospel. Pretty intense. These guys, they, they weren't heading on a short-term mission trip. It wasn't a two-year term. They left to go and live and suffer as slaves. Um, and so uh, the story goes, they, uh, they made this decision. That was, this was their plan. They were heading out for the rest of their lives. And... Um, they arrived at the pier to board their ship, and their families and friends were there to say goodbye. The men boarded the ship and set out, and, and as the gap between the shore and the ship widened, the two men linked arms, and one of them raised his hand and shouted across the gap these final words. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. That's why they were going. That's what took them on mission. They didn't say, pray for us. They didn't say even, pray for those people over there that we're going to be giving our lives to. They, They said, may Jesus get glory. That's the point. That's, missions exist because worship doesn't. It is, uh, one reason we do evangelism is so that people won't go to hell. That is, that is a huge motive and an important thing. But ultimately, we don't do evangelism so that people won't go to hell. We do evangelism so there'll be another voice around the throne. So that Jesus gets more honor. So that Jesus gets more praise. Um... I'm going to kind of, uh, I guess, bring us to a, a stopping point here and, I guess, open things up for questions. But I, I do want to say, um, just encourage you, uh, my prayer is for you is that um, for those of you in the room today, maybe you're worship leaders, you're, uh, you serve at a church where you're not doing much for the cause of missions right now, or, or maybe even uh, in your own life, you, you're not... Uh, living in a missional way. You're not sharing the gospel with others. You're not uh, living that way. Let me, let me just encourage you. Get a glimpse of God 
at the end of the day, that's what we need. That's how I, this, an experience of joy, an experience of greatness, that is what leads to worship and mission. That's, that's, where, it's, it, that's where it goes. If, you're, um, if your church is lacking in the area of, of missions activity, yes, we need to plan things, and yes, we need to, to create programs and give people opportunities, right? But, but at the end of the day, that doesn't bend our hearts, does it? That doesn't push us to, to, to love, to sacrifice in radical ways. That programs and rules and obligations won't do that for our sinful, idolatrous hearts. What we need is a greater glimpse of the beauty and the majesty of God. And when we get that, when we get that, when you see the cross, when you see that Jesus paid the price for your sin, that he gave everything, that he came on a mission from heaven. He came to this earth, he shed his blood, he gave his life. When you see that missions is born in the heart, when you take that in, that's the incubator for missions. The church that does that. So let me encourage you, yes, do the programs, yes, go on the mission trips, do the stuff, but more so, and yes, please, yes and amen, every single Sunday, give people God. Give people an encounter with God that is so great, an experience of joy that is so great that it must culminate, not only in their praising, not only in their songs, but in their going and in their sharing and in their giving it away to this world. I'll close today with a quote by a French writer. I can't even pronounce his name. I feel sort of dumb. Um, Antoine de Saint-Exupéry, something like that. He summed it up well. He said this, If you want to build a ship, don't drum up people to collect wood. Don't assign them tasks and work. Rather, teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. Brothers, sisters, let's give them that endless immensity. Let's give them God. Let me say a prayer for us, and then um, I'd love to get some questions if, if there's any more practical ways, uh, things that, um, ways I could maybe help you today. Let me know. Let's pray together. Lord God, we are, we love you, Lord, because you first loved us. We thank you, Lord, for your, your, grace on us. And we pray that you would make us a people that first sit at your feet so that our hearts are so full that we overflow. And that you would make us a people that give others the opportunity to behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, to see him and to be changed forever. Pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Um, any any questions uh, you guys may have about you know creating a 
I don't know, putting God on display in your church. I know that it's kind of theoretical stuff here, so I'd love to um, put myself on the spot here, and um, if you guys have any questions, let me know. If not, then uh, we'll be done, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, great question. Um, I would say that uh, C.S. Lewis is, a, I'm trying to think of the Lewis book, probably Mere Christianity, uh, a book um, by the name of Brother Yun called, um, oh, what's the name of that book? Heavenly Man. Yeah, Heavenly Man. Uh, I read the book, I think, in two days. It was, it was like 400 pages or something crazy. It's the story of a Chinese house church planner. It's his uh, autobiography, and it rocked my world. Uh, some of the other books that uh, I've read, really in, a recent one really enjoyed was The Reason for God by Tim Keller. Um, and uh, maybe uh, Tozer, Knowledge is Holy. Love Tozer. Randy Alcorn, Money, Possessions, and Eternity. Um, I love to read guys like, like, like the Tozers and Edwards and um, the Kellers and uh, Pipers and people who I just, like, when I read their books, my, the, the vision that I have of God, uh, it just dwarfs my vision of God. I try to read those kind of people and, um, and just, you know, it's good for my soul. It feeds me, and I think it, it, it helps um, me as a worship leader in huge ways. Yeah. 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 Um, I I sort of grew up in a Christian home. It kind of half and half. Basically, um, my mom brought us to church. Um, my dad uh, was not a Christian. He is, still is not a Christian. You guys want to say a prayer for him right now? Even his name's Charles Papa. Um, and um, we uh, we went to church. Um, I would say my first real encounter uh, with God was when I was 12 years old at a church camp. And um, felt like I got enough understanding of what the gospel is to, to really uh, give my life over to Jesus. Um, and, uh, and then um, just throughout high school, I, I uh, served in my church and, and led worship. Um, I will tell you that, that one of the uh, more recent things that's, that's occurred in my life that's been just a tremendous, uh, that's brought a tremendous amount of freedom. And maybe this will even serve some of you in a practical way today in terms of uh, the... I don't know, just idolatry and some of the stuff I was talking about earlier. Um, in the in the last f- four years or so, I've um, the the preaching ministry of uh, of John Piper, of my pastor J D Greer, and uh, and Tim Keller have played a huge role in uh, in so, in this in I guess my seeing of God uh, in in recent days of my life. Um, I, uh, throughout college, I, I, was, I battled the uh, addiction to pornography, and uh, you know, as many of the, the um, self-help groups and accountability stuff and the internet stuff I, I wanted to try, I just couldn't uh, seem to shake it, couldn't seem to break it. I tried, felt bad, guilty, I felt sorry about what I had done, but just couldn't seem to shake it. Um, and, um, and, and even some um, 
you know, early, like around our engagement, my wife and I, I was still, still battling and wrestling. And, and over the last five years or so, um, I really feel like through, through my times of the Lord, through just setting my face toward Him, and what I mean by that is waking up early and just opening the Bible and reading. That's how you see God, right? Um, God has begun uh, to, to set me free from sins, from sins like that one, from sins uh, like being addicted to the, to the praise of people, of, of striving. And, and uh, you know, as I said, you, uh, you, fight, um, you fight joy with greater joy. You know, you fight against idolatry with a greater God, a greater glory. And so in my life, in these recent years, as I've really set my face toward God, um, uh, God has, has healed me. He's given me victory. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not a cured man, obviously. I, I haven't seen the face of Jesus yet, but I'm going to, and I'm going to be uh, perfect, and it's going to be awesome. And, um, and so, um, yeah, I just, I just still you know, set my face to look at him every day and, and find, a, find victory through, through that. Yeah. Communicate as far as um, like the telling the story of the gospel kind of thing and Yeah, yeah, that's a great question, um, and th- and I, I don't do as a great job of that, to be honest. Uh, I need to do a better job of that, um, but uh, what he's saying is, how do you, you know, you as a worship leader, you have this sense and this calling, and you, you have almost, you've written a sermon for Sunday. You got this story you're telling. Um, how do you engage your uh, band members and other folks along uh, in that um, and, and, and to uh, encourage them in that way? Um, and to give them a sense of ownership in, in what's happening. Uh, I think for me, it's, it's kind of, as I go, um, expressing some of these philosophies of, of you know, the way I plan sets and why I'm doing a song here and, and a song there. Uh, earlier today, we, we had a meeting with our worship guys um, from the summit, and we were talking about you know, the, the song right after the message. Uh, that song for me is just such a crucial one, and uh, it's one that I change all the time. So I drive my worship team nuts because they, you know, they're, they're like, well, we practice this song. What in the world? You know, here goes Matt again doing whatever he's going to do or whatever. Um, I drive my worship team nuts. I know I do that. But I try to express to them in that moment, like, guys, this is JD or whoever just preached brought us to this place. He gave us this revelation. And this is the response that, I, that we have to give our people today. Like, we have to do this song. If we just did the song that was planned earlier, it's not going to make sense. It's not the response that, that's needed. And so, you know, in that moment, I try to express to them, like, hey, I know, sorry, we're going to change the song. I'm just going to play it by myself. Or, you know, if you guys know it, please play along. But we've got to respond to God in this way, in this moment. And, you know, 99% of the time, they're like, yeah, let's, let's do it. You know, that, that makes sense. We need to sing that song right now, you know. And so I guess just trying to, as I go to express the philosophy and the reasons for 
Oh, I'm doing some of these things. I saw another hand somewhere right there. Yeah. That was in North Carolina? Yeah. Right. At that church, um, do you guys actually have like a mission statement? Like some churches might put their mission statement like on a wall or a banner or something. You know, like in their own wording? Yeah, yeah. Happen? Love God, love each other, love our world. That's it. Um, and one thing that I, I just thought of as you were asking that question, I thought your question was going to be something and it ended up being something else, uh, but I'm going to answer what I thought it was going to be too. Um, uh, at the end of our services, one way as a church culture that we, uh, some of the things I've communicated, like tell a story each Sunday, the, the story, um, one of the ways that we do that as a church is at the end of the service, we have what we call a missional blessing. And so a guy gets up, uh, whether it's me or somebody else, and, and he stands up and says, brothers, sisters, in light of the mercies of God, go now and take this good news to this world. We've just found as a church, and I want to encourage you, you know, like, I know you got to end with an announcement sometimes. It's like, you know, necessary evil and that kind of stuff. But just for us, instead of saying, you're dismissed, you know, class is dismissed or whatever, you know, it's like, no, this is, the church is an army. And uh, it should feel that with that kind of sense of uh, sending. So that's what, that's one thing we've done to kind of, um, uh, put an accent on this telling of a of a story. Yeah, man. How how much time do we have? By the way, is somebody gonna get a hook thing and knock me off stage? One more question. All right, right there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, we should have programs, as I said. Um, I think in the same way almost that we should, uh, that we should have commands in the Bible. So, um, you know, uh, the great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Uh, we're sinful people, and uh, the reason that we have commands is because we're sinful people, right? We shouldn't have to have commands. We should just love God naturally. But... Nonetheless, the Bible is full of, like, don't throw rocks at people, and like, don't hurt people, don't do stupid stuff, right? And the reason for that is because we're sinners, and we're selfish, and we're, uh, you know, and so, obviously, the end goal is, uh, is just love for God, and we're going to all be there one day when we're in heaven with Jesus. We're just going to live uh, out of the overflow of our heart, and it's all going to be good, and it's going to be awesome, um, and so that's the end goal. And that's the end goal for us as, as churches, as people who want to create uh, a culture of missions and missionaries. It's that missions is, is, uh, is birthed. You know, it, it's, uh, you know, um, analogy my pastor uses that's a little bit of an awkward, awkward one. He says, you know, like the, the, way that, uh, the way that children are produced is through a moment of intimacy, like husband and wife, they interact, you know, and, it's, and, and fruit is born, right? Uh, in, in the same way, uh, it's, it's the intimate encounters with God. It's, it's the encounters of joy that are so great that we can't contain that, that produces spiritual, spiritual fruit in our lives and the fruit of uh, missions that's natural. And, and that said, we do need uh, 
programs, I think, opportunities, shepherding because we're selfish and evil and sinful, just to help people along, I think, uh, you know, go on a short, short-term mission trip. It'd be, it'd be good for you, you know, uh, to, to help us. We need those pushes, I think, one another encouraging each other uh, to, to live on mission with God, even if our heart's not in that place yet, because how many of you have been on a mission trip, and it just, even if your heart wasn't uh, broken before, after you leave that place, you're just devastated, right? Your heart is never the same, uh, and it's because somebody pushed you over the edge to, to take that step and to go uh, on that trip. Does that kind of make sense? Um, so thank you guys so much uh, for hanging out for a few minutes.